Good evening. Everybody got a full belly and a happy heart? Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. Well, if you got a Bible, um, ask you to turn to um, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Already got somebody saying, uh-oh, so I don't know if that's good or bad. I hope every good preacher teacher already has the page marked before they get up here. So, uh doesn't look good for you guys tonight, all right? Um, Philippians chapter 4. Tonight I want to talk through uh, what has been one of the most impactful passages and um, studies of my life. Um, a little bit of my story. Let me start my timer right here just for the benefit of us all. They told me I've only got two hours. I don't want to go over it. Um <laughs> One of, um, t- 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 a little bit of my story is that I, I, was, I was born and raised inside the walls of a church, almost literally feels like, in South Mississippi, where after you introduce yourself by name, you introduce yourself by home church affiliation, okay? It's just kind of the way it, it goes. Um, made a profession of faith very early on in my life and felt God called me to full-time vocational pastoral ministry at the age of 13. So within my first 13 to 14 years, I felt like God had called me to be a pastor, and I was pursuing that full on. Um, Praying really big prayers. I've prayed Psalm chapter 24 since I was 12 or 13 years old, that God would make and mold me into his man to lead his people to seek the face of the Lord God of Jacob. So we would be, I could be the man who leads my generation, my people who are scared of and scarred by the church to um, ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy place with clean hands and a pure heart. And um, I'm not mad at you, girl. I'm not mad at you. Um, Holy Spirit calling. Somebody better answer. Here we go. Um, (laughs) Felt God God called me to, to ministry at 13, was pursuing that. When I was 19 years old, I had been walking with Jesus pretty intimately for a for quite some time. But my freshman year in college, there came this transition. I hit this wall where I was like, you know, I've been doing this thing my whole life. I've given everything I am to this call, to this Jesus, to this person, to this book, to everything. But something's got to give here. Life is hard. The older you get, the more you realize life's life's hard, right? As I get older and everybody older than me gets older who's close to me and bodies start breaking and (laughs) money doesn't make it as far as it used to when mom and daddy were doling it out all the time or like whatever the case may be if responsibility increases the weight of life is intense right and um so at 19 all right a whole lot of life under my belt I was like what the heck is going on and so I started asking a whole lot of questions like where's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding I've heard about my whole life where's this joy that's unspeakable inexpressible that's given by the hand of God in all things so on so on so on where are these blessings these tangible blessings of knowing and walking with God like I was in A deep season of dark doubt. And um, in the midst of that, I was 19 years old, doubting everything about my faith. Um, My dad, my best friend, my hero, and my greatest fear became a tangible reality in that my dad, my best friend, my hero, um, died in a single car accident on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And I got a phone call from my youth pastor on my way to preach. 
in the midst of a season of dark doubt. The Lord spared those people that day um, and uh, said, hey, son, you need, to, you need to come back home. Your dad's been killed in a single car accident. And I was like, really, Lord? I'm crying out for you to do something big, do something strong. I'm asking for peace and rest and, and joy. And this is, okay, let's, let's party. Um, it was in that season, it was in that season that uh, the Lord taught me to taste and see and know and experience the depths of intimacy with God and the peace that surpasses all understanding. I would dare say, um, that many of you in this room right now are probably restlessly toiling with life in some way, shape, form, or fashion. There's deep pain, widespread confusion. Maybe there's some vast uncertainty about what the heck is going on right now and how do I get out? Your heart, your mind, your life, you're on the ropes of despair. You're fighting, you're backed into a corner and you've got no place to run. Maybe mom or dad is sick. Maybe a son or a daughter is rebelling. Maybe your job or career is in trouble or your marriage or some relationships are stressed or strained. Uh, maybe school is hard and maybe your finances are broken and you could probably add 12 more things to the list if we were to go around the tables and, and express, articulate the weights in our hearts tonight. Every hand in the room most likely would say, yeah, Chase, if, if I could leave with one thing tonight, I want to know the peace that surpasses all of my human understanding. So um, for the next two hours, um, kidding, <laughs> I think, um, kidding. Uh, let's, let's look at Philippians chapter 4 and uh, look at verses 4 to 7. 4 through 7. The Apostle Paul writes from most likely what is a Roman prison, all right, bound in chains as he pins this encouragement. He says, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Sounds like the words of a man who's bound in chains in prison for preaching the gospel, right? Rejoice. Hey, God is good. He's worthy of our praise. Rejoice. Um, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, all right, this is where we're building to. This is what we're seeking out tonight, okay? And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, a peace that is inexpressible, undescribable. You can not explain it. It surpasses all your understanding. That peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How? How? How do we know this peace of God that surpasses all understanding. All right, hopefully tonight in simplicity, but also with great weight, we will walk away with some tangible, we'll have some tangible takeaways, not just some ideas that we're like, yeah, I agree with that. I like that. That encouraged me. It felt good. But like we will have some tools in our hands that tonight we can walk out to walk with and in 
the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Okay, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. And uh, Father, thank you for just a space to relax and enjoy a good meal and great friends and, and conversation. Father, right now I ask that you give us your ears to hear your word. God, give us your eyes to see your truth. And Lord Jesus, tonight the, the hurting hearts and the confused minds in this room, Lord, which is most likely everyone to some degree. May we, may we see Jesus. God, I pray that every need in the hearts and minds in this room tonight is met in Christ tonight. Lord, that we taste and see the goodness of God and that your grace is sufficient to satisfy the deepest longing of our hearts and souls. Lord, lead us to your word. Lead us by your spirit. And Father, may we take your hand tonight. Lead my weak, feeble words and uh, pour yourself on us, Jesus, for your glory, for our good. In Jesus' name, we pray in his power. Amen, amen, amen. All right, so as we kind of build here, we're not going to go back and read the first three chapters of Philippians because I'm from South Mississippi and reading is hard, okay? But, um, but uh, the, the, I'll summarize for you a little bit. The first three chapters of Paul and Timothy's letter to Philippian believers is is really a roller coaster ride of a read, okay? It's exhausting just in chapter one. In chapter one alone, the Apostle Paul leads off with a little bit of, hey, everybody, I thank God for your faithful partnership in ministry daily. I can't wait to see you so soon. And they're like, woohoo, Uncle Paul's coming to town, all right? He always brings the Spirit, bringing gifts of the Spirit, you know? Oh, by the way, though, I'm, I forgot to mention, I'm in jail. Well, this is awkward. Uncle Paul got locked up for something again. Um, but but me being in jail has actually turned out for the good because it's for the furtherance of the gospel. So they're like, yeah, Uncle Paul's in jail for the gospel. Man, hero. He says, but, um, da, 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 da. and I know God's going to deliver me. He said, yeah, oh, yeah, he's going to get out. He's coming home. It's all good. Now, this deliverance, it, it might mean my death. We don't. <laughs> we don't know. It's a good thing you're getting out, but that may mean you're dead, which means you're not coming. Is, are, we, are we happy or are we sad at this point, Paul? Um, but if I die, it's best because I'll be with Jesus. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, he gets to go home to glory. And then he says, but I can't die just yet because I have to stay here and suffer for your sake. And they're like, <laughs> ouch. Um, then he, he finishes chapter one with with a, Strong encouragement. He says, you Philippian believers, okay, God has counted you worthy. Of course, the question, I mean, they all get really proud of themselves. And it's like, worthy of what? (laughs) To share in the same sufferings that I've been sharing in. And everybody volunteered right there. We We need a few people today. You've been counted worthy. We're in. Yeah, it's a prison ministry in which you will be imprisoned for three years. Busy, busy. No, no. The Apostle Paul tells the Philippian church that they are worthy of prison. What a blessing, right? You feel encouraged yet? The peace of God? We got it? No? Let's get out of chapter one. Yeah, I'm with you. All right. So the whole book, you're just like, what is going on? The apostle Paul bound in chains is just screaming encouragement, rejoicing in the Lord. And Philippian believers are like, how is he doing it? The modern church, our current culture, we say, how does he do it? Like, we're not even being persecuted, but a man who is in prison, how does he have so much joy, right? Um, 
I'm going to cut this illustration, but when I read this, I can't help think of my middle school relationships as up and down. We won't go there tonight, all right? Um, it's bound in chains. He pins this powerful encouragement to the faithful of God in Philippi. And uh, though he lay imprisoned for his faith, he authors a letter that's literally littered with themes of joy and encouragement. Verse 4 the Apostle Paul says, rejoice in the Lord again, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This word rejoice literally means to have an overflow, an abundance of joy, okay? It, it paints a picture of like this bottle, if I were to fill it up a little bit more with water, right? It can't overflow until it is filled, right? You can't have a surplus of something until the original container is full. This word communicates a surplus of joy, rejoice, literally the overflowing abundance of joy. So where is our joy found? How do we rejoice? He says rejoice in the Lord. Why do we, just bear with me here for just a second, I'm trying to do this quickly, but why rejoice in the Lord? Plainly and simply, we see the root of the Apostle Paul's joy in it, in that he says, rejoice in the Lord, because the Lord, completely honestly, all right, full honesty, the Lord is the only unchanging agent we know. We have a, a, an encouragement just in the first, first verse right here, verse 4. It says, rejoice in the Lord always, again I'll say rejoice. This rejoice in the Lord always carries this understanding. It carries the weight of, don't have your joy filled by anything else but Christ and Christ alone. Because if you do, rejoicing is impossible for two reasons. Number one, nothing else will ever fill your joy full so that you can overflow. And number two, those things aren't trustworthy even if they were to fill your joy. If, if all right, this table right here, this bottle is pretty much full, okay? If my bottle is filled full on this table, okay, and I... I can kick that table, it falls over, and everything that was filled spills, right? But it says rejoice, what? In the Lord. Be founded on and filled by what? The word, the Lord, um, in Christ alone. What? Because Jesus Christ, this is, and we've heard this our whole lives, but it's the absolute honest to God truth. We, we've got to take our knowledge and ask God to transform it into belief. Like, when we find our joy in anything but the risen Jesus, we're setting ourselves up for deep depression and great frustration because anything that's, that fills and satisfies your heart's desires apart from Christ will break, will fail you. If it's your spouse, if y'all have the perfect relationship, guess what? One of you will die at some point, and in doing so, if your joy is filled, full, sustained, and satisfied in your spouse above Christ, it will lead you to the ground. The only foundation in which we can have our joy filled and sustained in and by is Christ and Christ alone. We cannot live a life of rejoicing. We can't overflow with joy until our joy is filled in, sustained and satisfied by Jesus Christ alone. You're looking at a dude who has had his joy filled by a lot of things in his life, and every one of them has been snatched, taken, broken. And when they were, I found my happy little self flat on my face saying, God, why? 
Why? Everything was going so well. Everything was going so well. Healthy, happy, strong, thriving. And then, boom, now I'm miserable. And the Lord, by his grace, would whisper to my stubborn heart and my hurting mind, Chase, you're trusting everything but me. Your joy is temporary because it's filled by all these changing agents. All right, we spent way more time there than I wanted to. Don't be mad at me. All right, um, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Have your, your heart satisfied and content in the things of the Lord. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone quickly. Okay, I'm gonna, just going to run through my notes right here. This word reasonableness, I, I, oh, I thought, I'm a reasonable guy, right? You know, my reasonableness is known to everybody. I don't argue all that much. Um, the, the word reasonableness, one of your, another translation may, may say something else. This is ESV, but um, the, this word reasonableness is from the root word to yield. It means you're slowing your advancement for the sake of another. I imagine this picture of traffic jam where everybody is fun. You see the brokenness of man. Why? Like the brokenness. Sin is on full display in traffic because everybody has to get their nose in. Everybody's fighting for mine, my position. We're jockeying to be above, beyond, right? I mean, it's stressful. And I live in, when I was growing up in South Mississippi, traffic was backing out of the driveway trying not to hit my sister's car. All right, now it's. Blood, yeah, my blood pressure's through the roof every every day. Um, just kidding. I don't think I have a blood pressure problem. Maybe. Um, what are we talking about? You'll just slow your vision. Uh, imagine the picture of a traffic jam. Everyone's fighting for their position and their priority. Yet in the midst of jockeying for mine, I yield my advancement for another's sake. Okay, look. I'm not saying everybody let everybody in front of you on the tollway tomorrow. Okay, because everybody else in the room be mad at you too. But. Um, it communicates this idea of one that is satisfied with less than their due, okay? It's a, it's a note to the Philippian believers who have been the majority of Paul's missionary support. He's saying, hey, thank you, thank you, thank you for your abundance of generosity, all right? You have lived and loved with open, generous hands, let your reasonableness, let your generosity, let your faithfulness through your generosity be known to everyone. One who is satisfied with less than their due. Instead of greedy, grubby, snatchy, hold things tightly hands, all right? We know the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Not when we're grabbing for more and keeping for us, but when we say, Lord, everything I have is for you. The things we cling to most tightly are typically the things that bring stress more heavily, right? Like the things that we are so consumed with in the flesh that are fading and fleeting and don't matter usually pin our hearts to the floor rather than free us up to do and know Christ so much more. So open-handed to yield, all right? One is satisfied with less than their due. Lord, everything through my hands, through my home, in my home, I'm a steward of it to make you known. And the things that we begin to believe that God's entrusted to us to protect and to cling to, they bring us a lot of pain. Okay. Second part of verse 5 says, The Lord is at hand, therefore, okay, do not be anxious about anything, but with by everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. This, this whole... 
this little phrase, the Lord is at hand, okay? It's often misunderstood in its placement because instead of concluding, it's in verse 5, right? So it makes sense. We read it like, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord's at hand. Yeah, 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 let's do that. Um, But um, instead of concluding verse 5, this statement of let your reasonableness be known to everyone, I think it more accurately introduces the next statement, okay? So it's not eschatological like the Lord is coming back right now necessarily, but it's simply God is near to us and he hears us as we're about to see. What's it introduces? When you think about the Lord, a lot of times we, I've my whole life thought about the Lord as way off. He's up in the expanse of the heavens, right? If we, like when we start a class off with prayer or I'm laying by my bed at night and I pray and crying out to God, I would feel like I had to position myself and, um, like manipulate my prayers just right. Had to say them just perfectly so that they would make it through everything that I don't, got to get them through the ceiling, got to get them out of the building, got to get them through the sky, got to avoid all the air traffic, got to get it past the expanse of heaven, got to get through the pearly gates, it's got to get to the ear of the Lord. Ooh, it's got to take it like two weeks to get there, but like, I got to get my prayers to heaven, right? We got to pray these heavenly prayers, we got to get them there. Um, when we think of the Lord as way off in heaven, <laughs> we the Apostle Paul says, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. The Lord is near and understood and implied. Therefore, don't be anxious about anything. If I, uh, if, if tonight you were to go home, you were to take some of the the good, good grubbing back there home with you, and you were to eat a little leftovers on the couch watching your favorite television show tonight, okay? If you're sitting on the couch eating some chicken spaghetti, am I smelling that right? Yeah, all right. If you were to go home and you were eating some chicken spaghetti, all right, and uh, about 10.30 tonight, you hear a loud knock at the door, and then all of a sudden somebody kicks in the door, all right? Uh, a gunman comes in your house and says, give me the chicken spaghetti, Put it on ESPN or I'm going to shoot you. All right. And you're like, <laughs> you're not getting my chicken spaghetti. All right. He's like, no, no. So hey, you, you're held at gunpoint, kicks in. You get to your cell phone. You dial 911. You say, 911, hey, this is Chase. I'm really scared. I'm, um, uh, there's a bad man in my room and he wants my chicken spaghetti. And he says, hey, 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 don't worry, son. Don't worry. Um, there is a unit. You live in Carrollton, I see? Yes, sir. There's a unit in Garland. They'll be there in 45 minutes. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay, yeah. I would be freaking out, right? Like, there's a dangerous man. There's a dangerous, dangerous situation that is upon me right now. I need help. Yeah, 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 45 minutes. Just hang tight. Yeah, I'll see if he wants some coffee to go with his um, chicken spaghetti, and we'll just party. We'll see you in an hour, bro. Um, same situation, sitting there watching TV tonight, hanging out, eating popcorn, doing your thing. Man kicks in the door, holds you and your family at gunpoint and says, give me everything you want or I'm going to kill you right now. Manage to get up your cell phone, call 911. Hey, 911, what's your emergency? Hey, this is Chase Sims. I'm really scared. There's a bad man. He's being mean to me. I need help. Uh, Mr. Sims, I see you live at uh, 1910 Glen Hill Drive in Carrollton. Yes, sir. Actually, we've got a unit at the end of your street. They'll be there in 45 seconds. 45 seconds seconds. That feels a lot better, doesn't it? 
when danger is near. When danger is near. It's good to know that help is near, right? When you find yourself in the fight, you don't want to, you're not very encouraged knowing your backup is an hour away, but your backup is in the room, all right? It'd be even better. All right, actually, come on out, boys. Staged it, boom. Got the SWAT team in my kitchen. Take that, bad guy, right? Um, So, all right, on this silly little cheesy, terrifying example, if you will. Um, Verse 5 and 6. Let your reasonableness, reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord's at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but by um, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Hey, look, this continued thought, the Lord is near, introduces this whole concept of do not be anxious about anything. It, it implies since or because the Lord is near, my child, don't be anxious, all right? The word anxious, God bless you, um, the word anxious literally is from the root word that means to, to part or to divide. It's a distraction of our heart's focus and faith. It's the purest sign. Listen, the purest sign of a lack of faith is anxiety and worry, is anxiousness and worry, fearfulness. Um, You worry on a bridge that looks unstable. You worry in a car that has low fuel. You worry with a quarterback that repeatedly makes dumb mistakes, right? I mean, you worry when something isn't trustworthy. It isn't worth or, you know, worthy of your, your trust. Anxiousness and worry. Listen, all our anxiousness and worry is essentially rooted in our distrust of God. And distrust of his power, rendering him, uh, communicating to onlookers, okay, that he is helpless. We're rendering, um, we're, we're communicating our distrust of his plan, rendering him an unprepared and uh, ignorant and unprepared of the things to come. It's showing we distrust his affection for us, rendering him a bad father. Remember when you were little and everybody argued, my dad's stronger than your dad. Oh yeah, prove it. He weighs more. <laughs> yeah, he's fat. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 whatever. Like, my dad's stronger than your dad, and we argued about it to the death sometimes in fourth grade, okay? Like, I was willing to get detention to convince Mason Musgrove that Stanley Sims was stronger than Mark Musgrove. Are we recording this? <laughs> he is. He is, all right? But um, <laughs> but here's the deal, all right? We, we, I would argue till I was blue in the face and detention for days in fourth grade that my dad was stronger than everybody else's. We as the faithful who call God our father, those who believe and who have placed our trust in the holy Jesus, when we're worried, when we're running around freaking out about life and circumstances and situations, we are communicating to um, outsiders looking in that our Father is not trustworthy or strong, that we don't believe the promises of His Word, that He's going to protect His children and provide to meet our every need. We communicate to a lost and dying world that our Father is a false, that He's a fraud. How? Why? We render Him a bad father. 
The way that professing believers react to stress is screaming to an unbelieving world. My God cannot be trusted with my future and my well-being. <sighs> if the church is the body of Christ, quite literally, we are the tangible representation of Jesus to the world, right? We quite often portray Jesus as a helpless, stressed, paralytic, incapable of acting in the face of adversity. What a scary, scary thought, right? Lord, I mean, Jesus teaches his disciples in, in, uh, in the Gospels, like, if you just have the faith of a mustard seed, you'll see great fruit. Like, right, I mean, we know without faith it's impossible to live a life that's pleasing to God. We walk by faith and not by sight. Yet when the darkness comes, when the foe stands in the front yard, we are freaking out. Regardless of what our lips sing in a service on Sunday or Saturday, our lives are screaming all the more loudly that we do not trust God to uphold his word. So what's the solution? All right, instead of anxiousness and worry, we know that the Lord is near. So therefore, he says, since the Lord is near, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. Instead, okay, implied this but is a, is a contrasting, um, a little contrasting word here. Instead, but instead, by everything, in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Okay, we're going to finish with this. I want you to see these these two things. This is one of the things that that changed my life. Okay, it only took me 25 minutes to get here, but we're there. Okay, here, here we go. We'll end on this. You can take these two things, put them in your pocket. Um, when we leave here, I, I want you to know, fear not because your Father is near. The Lord God is not way off in the expanses of heavens. He is here. He is near. He is ready, willing, able to fight in your weakness, to be a strength in your weakness, to be a refuge in your fear. He says, my child, call out, cry out to me instead of shutting down. All right, so by, uh, in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. All right, Requ uh, by prayer and supplication, all right? Most of my life, I understood this to, just to be a, a writing tool that the Apostle Paul is using redundancy to communicate the importance of prayerfulness, right? We see all throughout the New Testament, the Apostle Paul pinning this, this command to pray without ceasing, be prayerful in all things. And I've always, it always kind of baffled me a little bit because I was like, man, we should be prayerful. We, sh we should pray without ceasing. And I understood that to be, I need to like take these times and stop and be praying about stuff all day long. But this word prayer and this word supplication are two completely different words in the New Testament, all right, in original text. They're two completely different words with two completely different meanings, okay? We're going to look at them quickly. The first one, this general prayerfulness, um, means seeking dependence on one greater than you, okay? The other one is this petitioning. It's um, specifically, uh, it's, it's asking for something, okay? It's petitioning. Supplication is, is like if we were to pass around a petition tonight and say, all right, if 
We need 30 signatures to make sure Chase Sims never comes back to pastor's class, okay? Like, if you started it and you had, yeah, come on, I'll start it right now, bro. I'll tell you, I'm, I'm exhausted from this side. I know it's worse. It's, tell everybody I'm like a chihuahua yapping at your ankles all day. And people are like, just shut up. Go somewhere else. Um, if, we were, if we were to start a petition right here on this side of the room, okay, and uh, at the end of the class said, all right, let's see how many. If there were two signatures on that petition, I'd be back next week, okay? But if there were 30 signatures on that petition, I would just walk by, get a to-go plate, and not come back in here next week, all right? But <coughs> so <coughs> this, what do these two words mean? What's the difference? This general prayer from this, this prayer, all right? The root word is the same of the New Testament word for worship, okay? Has the same root. Comes from the same word as the New Testament word for worship, which connotes, it paints this picture, the word picture of the Greek word. This is, listen to this, okay? This, I love this so much. It connotes a, ki- a kiss or crouching. It's the picture, it's a word picture of a dog licking the hand of its master. So that's a little weird. Yeah, but follow this, all right? Um, I've got a little puppy. Her name is Tui. She's a mutt, all right? Everybody in our family is a mutt. Um, she, uh, she's awesome. She's sweet. She's beautiful. She's fun. She's whatever, okay? When I come in, Tui goes crazy, all right? She, uh, if I'm sitting at the kitchen table, she's laying literally under my feet. Like She positions herself where all you have to do is move your foot, and, you're, and she's being pet all the time, okay? So she's brilliant, I told you. Um, so Tui, Sheila, anytime I come in the door, she freaks out. She's going crazy, jumps all over everything. Anytime, regardless of what she's doing, if I extend my right hand, she is licking my palm, okay? If I'm not extending my right hand, she's following right behind me, hoping that I will. Why? Because when I come home, I walk in, the first thing I do is take off my shoes, drop my backpack, say hey to everybody. Tui's running all around my feet. I go into the kitchen. I open the little drawer that has her treats in, and I say, Tui sit, Tui lay down, Tui roll over, Tui do the dishes. Dang it, I hadn't taught her that yet, but when I figure that out, it's going to be even, whoa, it's going to be all... So she does everything, and then I say, hey, good girl, Tui, good girl. And I give her a little treat from my right hand, okay? And she loves it, all right? Also, about two or three times a day, I walk into the kitchen. When Tui's nibbling at my toes, she knows, she knows, she's telling me she's hungry. I go in, I get it. Anything I put in her bowl, she eats. Everything that comes, listen, everything that comes from my right hand is exactly what she needs, exactly when she needs it. I have never... I have never given my sweet little puppy anything that would hurt her or harm her intentionally. <laughs> Let me say intentionally. Um, she trusts me. She is dependent on me. And she loves me as a result of one and two. She trusts me. Listen, Tui knows, look, this picture of us, this general prayerfulness communicates a dependence, all right? It's not us walking around with our heads bowed and our eyes closed all day because that gets really dangerous, but it's us understanding, listen, that we are completely, you are completely, desperately dependent on the Spirit of God by the mercy of the Father to uphold every aspect of your life. Literally every breath you breathe in right now, every, in the next minute, every 40 to 65 breaths that you will take are a gift of grace from a merciful father. We 
buy into the lie. We buy into the lie that when we're healthy and when we're strong, when our finances are good and when life is easy and we're cruising and chilling and it's good, that we are in control and that we're actually controlling something good. But James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Listen, even the breath you breathe is a merciful gift from God. We are desperately dependent. If the Lord was to remove his hand from us for half of a second, we would fall dead and cease to exist. This general prayerfulness is this. Understand our, your, my dependence on the Spirit of God to lead and move in all things, that the Lord has provided everything you have or don't have, whether as tangible as the breath you breathe, the home you go to, what, whatever, you name it. All things are a gift from God's right hand. And so this sitting at the Father communicates that we trust that anything the Lord extends from His right hand is what we need when we need it for our good. And anything he doesn't extend by his right hand, we trust him. We trust him that it's for our protection. And it's not what we need and it's not when we need it. And it is for our good. Desperately dependent. Tui cannot feed herself. That's why she loves my right hand. She knows she can't go into the kitchen and whip up some dog chow, all right? It's impossible, because we don't know the ingredients. But um, it's, it's an impossibility. She can't do it. We are to live with the same understanding of the impossible. We are incapable of producing anything good where they are ourselves. All right. And secondly, this word, we'll finish on this, okay? So this, we've got this, this is the prayer without ceasing, pray without ceasing. It's you're processing every thought, action, step, minute, breath of your day through the filter of, Lord, I need you. Like your prayerfulness, not saying a prayer, but living a life of prayerfulness is that eyes up, head going, life on normal. All right, you are saying, Lord, help me in this conversation. Lord, thank you that I didn't get sideswiped on the tollway today. Lord, thank you for sunshine. Thank you for the ability to walk, talk, hear, see, breathe, what, whatever. Lord, thank you. It is a constant, a constant conversation. Just you. Talking to the Lord like he's on your Bluetooth and you were talking to your best friend. Constant dependence, all right? The second one is this supplication, a more specific petitioning, all right? The book of James chapter 4 tells us this, um, that, where'd it go? Uh, James 1, 5, and 8, James 4, and James 5 tells us uh, that if you pray anything wavering and doubting, you might as well not even ask. James 5, t- uh, James five sixteen says that the prayer of a righteous person possesses great power. This word power, listen, it's the um, word from which we get the word energy or exercise, okay? It, it, it paints this picture of, uh, say, you were to go to the gym every day, you would work the same muscle grouping every day, okay? If you go to the gym every day and do biceps every day, you're going to have huge biceps, all right? <laughs> I don't. Um, so, say you were to go to the gym every day, work the same muscle grouping that's going to get stronger every single day, every single rep. You're tearing down and building up, okay? With every rep, it gains, grows 
and strength. Same thing. This word um, carries great power. This word petitioning, supplication that communicates petitioning. Listen, our prayers, our petitioning prayers, are specific, not just the Lord, thank you. But when you, we hit our knees and cry out for healing of some sort, when we are crying out to God for his special provision and protection in some circumstance or situation, or if you're praying for somebody on any count, listen, this, this supplication word communicates that. Our prayers grow in power when we are persistent to pray them. All right? A flippant prayer of, oh, Lord, heal my friend. And I'll check back in next month. Oh, Lord, we, we need you to do something in our son because he's wayward. Uh, you know what, Lord, we're broke this month. Could you just, like the flippant passive prayer is like the one out of 200 people in the room, okay? Doesn't carry any power. But listen, the more we flex our prayer muscle. There is power in our persistence to bang on the door of God's ear, saying, Lord God, hear us. Um, not, the, not the Apostle Paul, but Psalmist um, David. David is praying almost every psalm says, Lord, hear my cry. Lord, be merciful and hear my plea. He's saying, Lord, I'm not shutting up until something goes down, all right? Like, we're, we're burning up heaven with the prayers of God's faithful. We are persistent because every time we are faithful to take our petition, our supplication, our request to the Lord. It's like another petition on the paper and another rep in the weight room. It gains strength. I would hate to know, all right? I'm going to end on this. If those of you who, oh, I'm so sorry, yeah, we, we're getting close to two hours, aren't we? Um, if, um, I, I would hate to know, all right, January 25th of last year, 2016, doctor walks into, a, into an emergency room and tells me there is a fist-sized cancerous tumor in my right temporal lobe. And four days later, a man cut my skull open and took majority of that bad boy out, okay? I would be lying to you if I told you that there has not been a single day in the last 18 months that I haven't been knocking on heaven's door saying, Lord God, heal this broken body for your glory for 15 more years, okay? I, look, some, some people are like, man, you're healed. You still praying that? <laughs> yeah, because here's the deal. I would hate to know I was one prayerful petition short of God's merciful, full, gracious healing for his glory. I'm not shutting up, y'all. I hope 60 years from now I'm praying for healing. Like, boy, that was, that was 60 years ago, Chase. I know, I'm asking for 60 more. I'm going to be 200-year-old cancer patient. Um, kidding, I think. Um, all right, two takeaways. Here you go. I told you you'd have some tools in your pocket. All right. Number one, know this, in the midst of your stress, your fret, your worry, your anxiety, the Lord is near. He's not far off, all right? And he says, since I'm near, you don't have to worry. I'm bigger than the circumstance and situation you'll find yourself in, regardless of what color it is, regardless of what the nature of it is, regardless of what your storm feels like or tastes like. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I'm sufficient. I can take it, and I can grow you in the midst of it. The Lord is near, so do not fear. The Lord is near, so do not fear. And then 
Secondly, I told you the whole Mississippi thing gets hard sometimes. Secondly, all right, secondly, numbers are, numbers are hard. Um, prayer and supplication, okay? Prayer and supplication. This prayerfulness is us every moment of every day saying, Lord, thank you for the breath I breathe. I know, I know that I am desperate for you to make provision for me today. And I trust that everything that you provide is exactly what I need when I need it. And everything you withhold is everything I don't need when I don't need it. All right, Lord, I trust you. When it's dark, when it's light, when it's hot, when it's cold, when it's raining, when it's sunshine, Lord, I trust you regardless. There was a third thing. All right, yeah, yeah, this so prayer and then supplication, this petitioning, this concept of a petition. That, listen, there is, God's word teaches, there is power in our persistence to prayerfully seek God's hand and power. All right, hey, fill it up. Surround yourself with people who are willing to put their name on your prayerful petition every day. You hear me? Like, cry out, call out to God. The Psalms are filled with cries of desperation. Saying, Lord, hear us, hear us. We're not shutting up till something comes down. And then it always ends with a little rejoicing that, all right, Lord, thank you. All right. Um, let me pray for us. All right. Uh, thanks. And I really, uh, the whole Chihuahua thing, now you're thinking, yeah, that's exactly what this was like. All right. Love, love you. Thanks for letting me bark at you for a little while. Always, always, always so, so encouraged by this group. Really, y'all are, y'all are the dream team. Father, thank you for your word and for your people. Father, I ask right now, Lord, that your spirit takes your word and plants it deeply into the depths of our hearts and our minds. And Father, may you bring fruit. Lord, we know that the gospel is not, I will do better, but Lord, I can't do anything. So Lord, as we walk out of here tonight, may we know, may we see, and may we be driven to your gospel of grace. It says, Lord, I, I can't do these things. Father, help us. Help us trust you. Lord, help us see you. Help us hear you. Father, tonight I ask that your spirit helps us be more prayerful in all things. Make us overwhelmed at how aware we are of the beauty in your creation, of how you're leading us throughout the day. Father, teach us to be led by your spirit. And Lord, burn a fire deep inside of us so that we may know your peace that surpasses all understanding that builds this fortified protection around our hearts and our minds that's impenetrable by the enemy. Lord, give us, grant us your peace and may we walk in a desperate dependence that leads to life and in any situation rejoicing unto the glory of God. <sighs> Lord, we love you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Go with us, go before us, make our path straight, and may, may your righteousness shine on us like the noonday sun, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. amen.